Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Probably the shortest way to describe Brantes Purnell would be to call him an artist. Today we'll be talking about his new memoir, In Verse, Ten Bridges I've Burnt, but he's written short fiction, made records, choreographed dances, shot films, published zines. He is a volcano of creative energy pouring out of and through the Bay Area scenes, gay, black, dance, punk. This new memoir takes the form of dozens of raunchy, funny, pithy, incandescent poems, What is it to live in a body, his body, and to be a soul, his soul, in his time and his place, the long here and now? Brontes Purnell is coming up after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The new memoir in verse by today's guest, Brontes Purnell, is a challenging book. I don't mean the language itself, which is precise and wickedly fun. No, I mean that 10 Bridges I've Burnt is confrontational. Can you hold in your mind the contradictions of this person, Brontes Purnell? The crack and MFA, fat and thin, wisdom and bombast, honesty and performance of his life. Story is not about coming of age or of coming into himself or of once being lost but now found. Purnell puts no distance between the selves he's been and the selves he remains. I literally represent the 0.0001% he told Vulture, black queer men that have been riding around on a bike in the California sunshine for almost 20 goddamn years. Brontes Purnell, free of everything but yourself and the march of time, welcome to Forum. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So good to have you. So you've done so many different things. For people who aren't familiar with sort of the range of your work, like, how would you describe your artistic career? I definitely keep a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are the things? Like, walk walk me through it. You started out with zines as a kid, right? And where where'd you yeah, go from there? Yeah, I like I started writing zines when I was like fourteen and like playing in bands. Um, you know, I was sold the idea that I would be the next Kurt Cobain because <laughs> we all watched. You're too my much Kurt Cobain, into- Brian. Oh my God, stop! <laughs> you say that to everyone. Um, but then, yeah, I moved here when I was 20. Um, yeah, I had, my grandmother's brother was a blues musician out here. He ran Eli's Mile High. Wow. Um, Before it was a punk club, when it was still a blues club. Yeah, Eli got killed there, and then him and Choice Key took it over in the 70s, and so he had this crazy white hippie girlfriend, and they would come back to Alabama, and they would, obviously they knew I was gay, and I played guitar, and my great-grandfather was a blues musician, so they would always be like, 
out of his 30 grandkids, grandnephews, I was the only one that could play guitar. And he'd always be like, you should move to Oakland. You should move to Oakland when I was 12 and 13. And so then I did when I was wow. 20. Um, but yeah, I got out here. I was playing in Gravy Train. I was having interracial sex, doing drugs, going to college. Yeah, and then it just, I kept doing things because I needed more paychecks, yeah. so. <laughs> well, before we leave um, your youth youth in Athens, Alabama, you do have a poem about uh, that place called Oath of Athenian Youth, and we've got an excerpt here for you. We want people to hear this poetry, so take it away. You want to set it up? You can set it up if you need Okay, to. so originally this book was supposed to be called Oath of Athenian Youth, but they were like, Brontes, only Ann Carsons can get away with that title. So we need people to know that you are a very dangerous person. So we're going to call it Ten Bridges You've Burnt. And I'm like, oh, I don't want people to know that I'm deeply guilty. Can we not use that title? And they were like, no, we have to sell this book. <laughs> so here we go. Um, excerpt from Oath of Athenian Youth. I look for rhythm in everything, a pen going across paper, feet hitting pavement, and my personal favorite, a room of aimless chattering. But back to my city. I can't tell you much about ancient Greece, to be honest, except that I, an American, have had the notion shoved down my throat that these white folks in the Fertile Crescent were really onto something, what with art and slave owning, and what have you. And so I, a child of Athens, need only see a bleached white marble column and be reminded of home. And though I hate free association, every time I see a bleached marble column, I see a Klansman's, a Klansman's hood. I can like smell the cross burning. Forgive me if this troubles you. I was a grown man in California before I learned that Africa too had gods that could shoot lightning, start wars, inspire pathos, represent the elements, and like every other black man whose soul was switched with that of a Greek boys of antiquity, I often close my eyes and try to picture Nigeria or Ghana, but remember that I am only an African boy conceptually. And when I complain Plain. I am reminded by some guy that people are starving from Africa to the Appalachians and that suffering does not make me special. Like every other American, I am only an echo of the old world. But I personally sometimes feel that I am becoming and unbecoming both louder and fainter simultaneously and into infinity. And dear God, I am already so tired." We will never bring disgrace to this, our city, by any act of dishonesty or cowardice. And do I refuse this oath? Do I have any sense of borders left? My body, a sort of nation state, the only city I have left is the one inside. Where is the oath of nowhere? I could easily draw you a map of where I was born and have it tell you absolutely nothing about me. That was Brontes Purnell reading an excerpt from... The poem in Ten Bridges I've Burnt, Oath of Athenian Youth, the true inner title of this book. <laughs> um, so if you tell us about Athens and it tells you, it tells us nothing about you, um, what is something about your childhood that tells us something about you? Um, I'm from the same town as Brittany Howard from the Alabama Shakes. <laughs> um what else? Yeah. Every time I think of home, I just think like cotton fields. Like I was born in Athens, right? But I grew up in Triana. And up until the time I left, it was, yeah, it was a cotton fields, 500, population 500. There was like two white families. Oh my God. What was your, what were your parents like? 
Oh, really groovy. Okay, so my parents met at Alabama A&M University. That's the same university that Sun Ra went to. It was a historically black college. I went there for a year. I was conceived there. Um, very, very groovy. My dad was really into music. My dad was really, really into music. His older brother... My mom's uncle was the blues musician here. My dad's older brother was a blues... He was a soul musician in Selma back in, like, the 60s and 70s, like, when, like, the it was, like, a political hotbed. And my dad was really... He used to dress really mod. He was really into, like, the police, Hendrix, Bruce Springsteen. Ah. He would, like, listen to, like, that Fleetwood... Like, it's funny that Dreams became, like, a TikTok thing because I remember, like, in my youth, like, he would play that song, like, 10 times in a row. <laughs> He'd, like, get home from work and be like, I gotta hear this. Yeah. I, like, sometimes... I feel like I lived my parents' dreams through them or whatever because my mom wanted to be a writer. My dad wanted to be a musician. And, you know, you know, with 80s parents, they were so brutal. But, you know, once they turn 40, they mellow out. And they're like, <laughs> they're like you're just like me. Wow. You, you did everything I taught you to be. And... It's a good thing my dad was 40 when I was born, I guess. Uh, so where did you get the, uh, the, the, the punk? Did that come through your dad? Or did that, is that something you sought out yourself? Well, no, I mean, I like, I grew up playing rock and roll, yeah. you know, like it was just, there was always guitars, there was always, you know, pianos around. I grew up singing in the church, you know, like it was always just kind of right there. Plus, I think I'm really from like that kind of the last generation where like rock and roll was like this accessible thing. Kind of now in Oakland, I feel like it's all like DJ culture. Like mm -hmm. the younger kids do not want to be in bands with other people. I think they just <laughs> want to sit in their room alone on headphones and, you know, and also as we see access to places where you can have loud music, like yeah. kind of disappear. Um, sometimes I play rock and roll and I do feel like a kind of a relic or yeah. something. Yeah. You know, um, you write addressing the the reader in, in this book, you know, you deliberately misinterpret me, like constantly. See me only as the man who represents the 10 bridges I've burned, but not the 100 that I've built. Um, and, you know, you kind of reference that people like to see the, the dangerous side, perhaps. Um, we'll talk about the, the bridges you've built, not the ones you've burned. Um, well, no, I, th I think they're all very much interconnected, but I don't know. I think people always kind of like the most like sensational kind of headline, and we don't really deal with intersectional conversation that there's like two things going on at once. Like when I wrote Hundred Boyfriends, like people sometimes will be like, "Wow, this dirty, crazy, nasty, awful book," and I remind them that there's men in that book that are taking care of their lovers that are recovering from drugs there's men getting married there's people like recollecting like you know their dad's dead belongings you know these things are all happening at once but yeah. because we live in a world of taglines and headlines we always want to accept the worst in people we really do live in a world of bad faith and where people also you know one of the the glories of that book too is that you're you're bringing all of these histories and ghosts into the kind of the same room rather than kind of locking them away or compartmentalizing them or pretending they didn't exist. No, it's that yeah, you you couldn't if you wanted to. It's like <laughs> no, it is all happening at once. Um, so another thing that's all been been happening at once are all these changes um, that you've seen in the Bay Area. So you know you mentioned that your family was kind of like, hey, you should move to Ocean. You could, you should move to Oakland, and then you do. Um, and it's what year? So, like, give it, set the scene for us. Um, 2002. Yeah. And what, how did you see Oakland at that moment, 2002? It was, it 
was so funny because I just remember always like skateboarding through downtown and it was just like so empty. Like it, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it was like the fall of dot com and like I was living in this warehouse with like twenty other kids in East Oakland and I don't know. It just it felt everything just felt so new. Mm. Like you understand, like I was like at my mom's house, like this small like just doing nothing and then all of a sudden I was just like, Oh wow, like there's there's drugs, there's beer, there's boys. Go anywhere. Yeah. There I was like I went to Laney College, like I was studying dance at Laney College, like and then going to the Malonga Casca Lord. Um I joined I was in this these several African dance companies for like almost eight, nine years. And then dancing in gravy train, you know, coming here and then a couple months later I'm like on a plane to England. Like it was it was a really fertile, crazy time. Um so do you think that, you know, the Brontes of twenty twenty four who's arriving in Oakland could have that experience? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um I often say the portal that I jumped through closed a long time ago. Mm. I mean, but also this is a magical place. New portals open up all the time. But <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'll be explaining things to people too. And even sometimes I have to sit there and be like, wait, like that was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm more in awe of it now than at the time. Like it just seems so normal or like yeah. this, you know, you know when things just seem like the next step or. Yeah, totally. Uh, we're talking with Oakland writer, dancer, musician, performance artist, Brontes Purnell. Got a new memoir in verse, 10 Bridges I've Burned. We're using uh, his song Girl from Ghost Town going into the break here. If you want to talk to Brontes Purnell, maybe you need some uh, Valentine's Day advice from the person who wrote 10 Bridges I've Burned and 100 Boyfriends, you can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all our social channels or on the Discord, or you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We'll be back with more from Brontes Purnell right after the break. I'm crying, but I'll be a fairy boy who bounces, who stars all day and huffs away on gasoline and ether. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Oakland writer, dancer, musician, performance artist, Brontes Purnell. His new memoir, In Verse, publishes today. It's called Ten 
bridges I've burnt. If you want to talk to Brontes Purnell, you need some advice about something in your life, you can email forum, kqed.org. You can find us on our social channels or give us a call, 866-733-6786. One thing that I learned from this book about you, Brontes, is that you love the telephone like actually talking on the telephone. I don't mean just like staring at it and doom scrolling. You actually like picking up the phone and talking to people. It's like my favorite thing to do to like sit in bed and just like talk on the phone. It's like, it's great. (laughs) You know, I wonder if this is our like micro generation. I spent four hours a day on the phone as a teenager, I think, at least. No, it was great. Like it was so entertaining. Remember the party lines? (laughs) Or watching TV with someone on the telephone. You ever do that? Oh, yeah. Chatting to TGI Friday. I did everything on the phone. There'd be like eight of us on the phone like at once. And it was just like, it felt like the future also. Yeah. Well, let's have you read. You do have, uh, we have another excerpt from the poem Mood, colon, Bored, um, which is a little bit about this. Yeah. Bored spelled B-O-R-E-D. But let's go. Um, Mood, Bored. The world is chock full of oaths of civic promise that if we think about it, we never fully agreed to, if at all. And by answering the phone for unwanted conversation, we are somehow fulfilling our end of the cultural contract as if we made some unspoken deal with God to always meet the future halfway. I, having no millennial fear, pick up quite feverishly, no matter who is calling, like my life codependent on it. <laughs> was Bron Tespernell reading an excerpt from uh, poem, Mood Bored. I mean, I love the idea that when somebody calls and you, you pick up, you're somehow, that you're doing, you're doing something bigger than just like picking up the phone. Like, talk to me a little bit more about that. Well, because like, I feel like, I mean, the poem is about how in the 90s we dreamed of video calls like we like that just felt like the most futuristic thing in the world. And now that we finally have it, no one wants to answer a FaceTime. (laughs) Like, it seems like we want to talk to people even less now. And I'm just like, you guys like this, like this isn't fair. And also, too, I don't know. It's like. There's, like, kids, like, in them cobalt fields, like, suffering. Like, just answer the phone. Like, there's a lot of misery going into this also. So that you can have this. Either throw the phone away or just get a burner or just, you know, answer the deal you made with God. Like, come on. Like, I love that. Um, So, you know, in this memoir, a lot of it is, it's, I don't want to necessarily say it's about love or romance. or Like, those words don't quite feel right. But it is about the way that you've been. Eros. Eros. That's a better. That, there you Eros. go. It's about Eros. Um, and you say, I've been a damn good husband to myself, and I've spent my best years raising all my friends. How does that fit into the, the other pieces? Um, I am a 40-year-old man living with three other abandoned bachelors. And I was watching Instagram the other day and there was this like, you know, in these reels, there was like this woman who's like, I'm 65. I have no savings. And I live with three other women my age to like save money. And everyone in the comments was like, wow, you didn't save for your future. Like, wow. What about this? What about that? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you guys, y'all understand that America is over. Like we are all living communally. We thought the Golden Girls was just a funny show. No, this is what's going to happen. So, but also too, it's like I 
I couldn't think of a greater life, honestly. Yeah. You know, we constantly have to redefine what family is. We were sold the idea that it would all just be kids and a wife, but like, no, it might be like three other artists. I live with three straight dudes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and also, I have never felt more safe or taken care of in a family situation like ever, wow. you know? So, yeah. You know, in another poem, you're kind of uh, you're talking about a fight you got into with <laughs> with another poet, um, and you say, you know, uh, and my hooker friend China was sick and standing on the corner and needed money for dope, and Tommy sat in an apartment in the Castro with his poet boyfriend, and it occurred to me that I had always been closer to being homeless than I had ever been to living with a boyfriend in the Castro. And is that true? Have you never gotten close to living uh, with a boyfriend in the Castro? Absolutely not. I mean, I've had a lot of men in the Castro use my services, quote unquote, but wifing me up? Nah, nah. <laughs> they used me. Um, <laughs> but no, I like, no, I often, I do often think about my youth. Um, and it is kind of, it is funny. Um, San Francisco, I think at the time, especially in my 20s, was. Bunch of weird, mediocre boys winning all the time. So, and I was kind of always looked at as like weird because they'd be like, Are you headed back to your warehouse in Oakland, Bronxes? Then cut to 2012, all of them moved over to my neighborhood and they're like, Oakland rocks. Wow. So, um, let's also talk about, uh, something else which is on the cover of this book like your actual like author photo which i'm holding up for brontes right now um, oh that's me <laughs> yeah it's you that's you wow. uh you know so there's some good nudity on the in this you know partial nudity um talk to me about it a, a little bit i feel like it's such a key part of your at least your performance art or your persona to be like a person who takes off his clothes oh my god i no is that wrong <laughs> Nudity represents truth and protest. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm not saying it. To be honest, I don't know what it is, but I don't know. It's like always been a thing with me. I only feel like I look fat when I'm wearing clothes, <laughs> but when I'm naked, I'm just like, wow, I look like a Renaissance painting. Like total like sculpture. My skin's all pretty. Like, uh, so I'm jealous. It's true. Uh, um <laughs> I mean Let's talk a little more about bodies. We're gonna have you. Uh, we've got another poem to um, to read on on bodies. But I, how have you come to terms with yourself over time? Actually, let's let's read the poem first. Let's read the poem first. No, I'll actually, let's let's explore this. Okay, okay, we'll explore it first. We'll explore it first. Um, I think it's so funny that I keep getting these ads for Ozempic like <laughs> all over. Like you know, yeah. we basically oh, I do. no people. We've completely killed body positivity, right? We like every time a fat person is having fun anywhere on the internet, the comments are horrible, and they got tired of us loving our bodies, so they're like, "Here, let's just let's deplete this diabetic's medicine and just make you all skinny, uniform." And I personally have totally found the courage to just be fat because I've never cared what people thought. Like, why would you actually care what a stranger thinks about your body? And also, if I think about it, even when I was 160 pounds and doing called cocaine all the time in my 20s, boys in San Francisco were still calling me fat. So, like, the bodies are very elusive. They're always elusive. Mm. And I think about the fact that 
I'm literally like a sperm and an egg somehow met up and I got to be on this plane of existence. It's a miracle any of us made it here. Like, I think we think a little too hard about being muscular. You're going to miss your whole life with that. <laughs> and also, no one really cares. I actually, I don't know. I feel like the quality of men I have now is better now that I'm, I went ahead and just had the sandwich, you know, <laughs> rather than starving myself. So... Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I think in gay culture, men have been dealing with and adjusting with this for longer. And it does feel a little bit like it's, you know, straight people are just kind of straight men in particular are just kind of catching up to feeling like, wait, I have to. Am I supposed to feel some sort of way about this body? Like, what, you know, I know it's like, I, don't know, I think sometimes, too, I like I looked at the older men in my life, particularly my dad's and. It was really hard for them adjusting to becoming like 41. I saw it as I turned 41 and the doctors are like, hey, we got to put you on testosterone. Hey, we have to do this. Or, you know, that loss of masculine virility. Like, I think we should just find a way to feel lucky that we lived long enough to see a change. <laughs> right. And yeah. everything changes. I, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm happy. I'm like content with it. Yeah. It's also nice to have that hormone drop where you can finally think. <laughs> like, so, no wonder all this work is coming out, you know. Um, For sure. Uh, all right. Uh, excerpt from Participatory Capitalism. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Excerpt from Participatory Capitalism. I have been 300 pounds. I have been 160 pounds. No matter what weight you start at, people always compliment the loss of the first 10. Oh my God, and wow, and good job, and look at your effort. The loss of weight and the compliments are signifiers that we are participating in capitalism, picking ourselves up by the bootstraps, taking control of the fact that if our bodies are unpleasing to the eyes of the average stranger, it can only mean a moral deficit on the hands of fatty but also how are we tracking the belief that skinny people are actually happy when i was 160 pounds it was jogging that got me there but also massive rails of cocaine people said you look amazing it never occurred to me that one can always respond thank you i'm suffering only one friend took heed of this and called me suspiciously skinny, and the spell was broken, and I gained my weight again, and I am back to the hell of jogging around Lake Merritt. People are giving me the nod of a participatory social capitalism, nods that say, we see that you are fat and trying and worthy of our unsolicited praise. I sink back into my body that sits on these forever aching knees, and it's always been apparent to me that I have always that I have always existed in an expanding and shrinking universe. Oh, God, I love that one. I mean, the thank you, I'm suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I lose some weight and someone tells, you know, says, wow, you look great. I say, thank you, I'm suffering. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, like, I feel like you have earned, you say, you know, you, you said that you're, you feel good. You know, I feel like you've earned it, though. It's that that poem to me sounds like someone who who did figure something out, who came to wisdom through a lot of years of self hatred. Yes, <laughs> is that the only way through? That seems hard. It's not, it's, I I wouldn't suggest it, but you know, I I had a rougher path than most. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's um, what's your relationship? You mentioned it earlier between kind of your body and physical life. As, as you, you know, 
feel it in space and the body that you present on social media or like as part of your sort of art or content? I don't know. Because sometimes I'll really just be like, I'll just be like shirtless and doing something. But <laughs> Like the one with the sword on the but, Instagram. Oh, like the, <laughs> that is, it's a call back to the Azalea Banks viral uh, thing where she's dancing around with the um, machete. But I also like, you know, I dabble in African tradition, <laughs> traditional religion. So I have like a hundred machetes around. Um, so I think it's like kind of funny. Um, but then also too, it's like, when you're in a marginalized identity, your body always presents as protest whether you want it to or not. There can be like a hundred shirtless white boys on the internet and it never becomes like, wow, like, let's talk about your body. <laughs> but, you know, like with me, it seems like more of a statement. But I also, I don't know. It's, but I also, I, I do not refute that because, you know. Yeah. Whenever I was sitting in the astral plane and I told God to pick me to come into this form, I think I was choosing to throw a brick, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't like I don't refute it, but I, don't know, I think it's like kind of funny. Um, even the fact that I've chose to call this a memoir in verse, and this book is basically a pack of lies, um, <laughs> <laughs> because they're it's composites, you know. And I could never actually write about my life like that, but I was taking on the idea that well, you know. Gay men, women, people of color, in order for us to be taken seriously, we have to be writing memoir. Only, like a white man can write, this is an extreme example, memoirs of a geisha, right? And no one will question it. But if we write fiction, let me, I'll bring it back a little bit. My friends, my friend's girlfriend was writing a cookbook and was going to publishers. And this guy said to her, well, we can't really publish just a cookbook. Like, do you have problems with your father or dating? Can we put that in there? She's like, there's good cookies in there. Yeah, like totally. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so it's this idea that even if I'm speaking in a sp- fictional space that I have nothing to teach, but it's not true. So mm. plus I wanted to get canceled like that black dude at the New York Times, <laughs> hopefully, but no one ever cancels me like that. Never like it's always personal attacks. It's never like a high form intellectual one, you know. And my books never get banned in Florida. And I'm just like, <laughs> why am I so ignored? You're doing your best. <laughs> <laughs> um one listener has a hilarious question for you. Okay. Um, a listener over on the Discord writes, I've noticed that a lot of people very hot people, I might add, say they don't have sex. Does Brontez have any thoughts on this? Is sex over? I don't think I don't think sex is over. And a lot of hot people don't have sex, but a lot of ugly people are. So, I mean, what is the actual balance there, really? Um, yeah, I was over at, I went back to my alma mater, Steamworks Bathhouse, the other day. And I spent, I worked there. I spent my 20s there. I was there four days a week just getting nailed like i never said no to anyone but now in my 40s i'm kind of just like wow i'm really walking around in a cave in a towel just waiting for sex and so then i was like maybe i should go crochet the pandemic taught us that um there's porn hub and why would you need another person like and also we can't just be giving it up we need health care and apartments you have to save that <laughs> for your husband um. Um. Yeah, I have. I have definitely worried that for a lot of young people, sex has turned into like a short form visual medium versus like an actual physical experience in their own bodies. Um, 
it does seem like a bad thing to have happen. I don't know. Well, I grew up also with like I knew all the kids that worked at kink.com and just knowing so many sex workers and all that, like going to other places and watching people that really think that that stuff is real and like spending years knowing all the tricks and the trade of it. Plus when we grow up in this sex positive place, like we know what's real and what's not, you know, and like actual sex is not pretty. Actual sex is not sexy, you know, and I think a lot of people have to be prepared for how ugly it actually is. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you can live with the fact that it's not a fantasy, then you can get through it. But (laughs) Uh, Also about life. That one too. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. Um, You know, there's there's one line in a poem that's a little too hot for radio that really does uh, stick with me. Um, And, you say something like, uh, it, it expresses a fear that nobody wants my body, but everyone wants my soul. Yes. What do you mean by that? Like, t- tell me more. Um, just kind of um, how actually lonely people are and how your, um, your emotional labor is always evident in so many relationships. Like, the boys I think that I love the absolute most um, the ones that kept me around where, you know, kept me on their couches, kept me close. Like, all they wanted was, like, my actual... They wanted my emotional labor, and they wanted my spirit there all the time. And mm-hmm. these actually became my most intimate relationships, the ones that we never even touched each other once. And I found that there was a system I had for a lot of years where I would be coming to the San Francisco and just, like, having these intense emotional exchanges with these guys. But then you know, supplementing that with being at Steamworks and having these super Mm -hmm. crazy intimate Mm -hmm. relations with these strangers, but I never seemed to get both at once, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, in this weird way, I was like, oh, is this why so many straight men cheat? Uh, this is why, so, and this is what my mom said. Like when I my granddad's funeral, I was I was like, "Mom, do like men cheat?" And my mom was like, "No, straight women cheat all the time too." Do you think they're cheating with single women? No, they're cheating with someone's husband. All straight people are cheating. And I was like, "Oh, so like sex and intimacy can be housed in two very different places sometimes." Yeah. So that line was yeah. hearkening to that. Yeah. We're talking with Oakland writer, dancer, musician, performance artist Brontes Purnell about his new memoir in verse, Ten Bridges I Burn. If you want to talk to Brontes Purnell, here's your chance. You can email form at kqed.org or you can give us a call 866-733-6786. We'll get to more calls and comments after the break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Brontes Purnell, his new memoir in verse 10, Bridges I've Burnt, publishes today. Of course, also a writer, a dancer, a musician, performance artist. Um, Let's bring in Shannon in Oakland. Hey, welcome, Shannon. Hi, good morning. Oh, my God. Brontes, I want to laugh and cry at the same time. I've never been able to identify with anybody as much as you. I have so Girl, much mad, mad respect for you. I have mad respect for you, and you're gorgeous. I love it. Oh, my God. Well, I, I love you, too. It. Wait, can you call me every morning? <laughs> Your daily yeah. affirmation. This is what all callers do whenever they call. Oh, my God. I don't know. Are you an Aries, too? This is crazy. <laughs> no, I'm a Cancer double um, Sag, unfortunately. Mm. Mm, I love it. Shannon, I love it. Shannon, I I'm so... the Aries. I'm the Aries. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> so, um, so I actually have founded uh, something called the um, ex- uh, Ecstatic Dance Planet. So, dancing for a planet, um, and also just a portion of the proceeds going to those beautiful uh, creatures in the ocean that are mm-hmm. swimming next to trash, literally. literally. But I also work with an organization called the Bay Area Creative. They travel to 100 schools all over, like Contra Costa, mm-hmm. Oakland, Berkeley, mm-hmm. Hayward, and they work in spoken word and dance. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I would love it if you could, you know, show them your perspective on this. And well, so. Yeah. Yeah. Shannon, stay on the line. We can uh, get your phone number and we'll give it to you. Absolutely. Uh, I actually do a series. I've done it in New York and Germany, but I do this series called The Body Writes a Book. And it's like we mix mm. like poetry with movement. And I remember taking the um, old Anna Halperin workshops back in the day. Oh. And it was always kind of like groovy like that. Do you like working with kids? Um, yeah, actually, I used to do teach classes at Girls Rock Camp. Um, mm-hmm. I've taught in places in Brooklyn, um, the Dia Teens. Yeah, like I work with them a lot. Um, what do you like working about working with them versus you know just your regular work? Um, they it, well, it's just all over the place. But I'm also like I'm always surprised that like I feel like I'm the immature one in the room often. <laughs> like, <laughs> Got to teach them how to be a kid. Yeah, or like yeah. yeah, just I think kids these days are just so much more well mannered than I was. I don't know. Yeah. There's this notion that we kids in the '80s were. You know, like more put together, we really weren't. Our parents were very absent. Um, these kids, <laughs> these kids are way more put together. I think. Um, let's. While we're talking about dance, um, you have another poem. You you can set it up. Golden postures. Oh yeah. Poem. Um. So golden postures is about the first time I put on point shoes in ballet. Mm-hmm. Golden postures. The Negro dance is a rhythm of disintegration, said Martha Graham, and we all know the alcoholic white modernists of last century were oracles, and how I wish it weren't true, the disintegration part, and yes, I often find it hard to find equilibrium, and my arabesque lacks a certain poetic quality, (laughs) though I do not self-deprecate or need remind myself that God made all of this. 
I am still sculpture. And consider, I was a man of 40 before I danced in point, point shoes, heard the ballet teacher say, let the weight hang off you and on your ankles like your pelvis is lifted on a silver tray and like your head is hovering with the weight of a celestial crown or so help me your neck from a noose. I give the illusion of floating when I'm in free fall. From the vantage point of the audience, I look like I'm flying, but from this vantage point of me passed out on the floor, looking upside down, what could not be imagined or dreamed into existence. I sometimes mistake streetlights for the moon or a stage light as epiphany. I am the hanged man. I am Major Arcana. I hang myself out of a self I hang myself out of a self-inflicted predicament. I see the world from a new perspective. And don't cry for me when you see me on the floor. I am basking in my celestialness. Would you believe that I am happy? Every day the scorched me reintegrates and learns how to talk and walk again and again and again and over and over. It's all episodic. Two nooses pull me from my crown and my foot. It's giving erect posture. And I have nothing to fear, for I am held together by spine and not glue. I do this dance every day. My golden posture remains earned. Mm. That's Brontes Purnell reading poem golden postures from memoir and verse 10 bridges i've burnt you know as, as someone who you know not a trained dancer love dancing not a trained dancer um wh- what is it like to get in point shoes for in this way and begin a new form of dance when you have had all this other kind of training like okay, what's it like I, in your body? I literally only did it once and oh, yeah. i never did it again <laughs> <laughs> um it's I think it's always kind of, um, my Bay Area kind of dance was always about, I think, unlearning a lot of stuff. Hmm. Like, I, we, you had to take ballet in school because that was part of the credit. So I did 10 years of it. But I felt like every other class I went to was always kind of railing on it. Because, you know, we in the Bay love our ecstatic dance, our folklore <laughs> dance. Like, you know, but yeah. like being older, I kind of went back to it because I was like I ever, never actually got to enjoy like the line of it or the semantics of it um, there's uh-huh. a teacher Mary Armand Trout who's one of my gurus she does a Feldenkrais hmm. and ballet kind of component and like kind of teaches you the way ballet is for like the everybody huh. um, and so that's that I like going back to and rediscovering huh. that I thought when you first said unlearning I thought it was going to be a certain kind of unlearning ab- about like maledom. One thing I've noticed watching like little uh, tiny dudes try to dance is already they've learned a certain kind of fixity in the hips and other kinds of things that are kind of part of this habitus of like trying to be a quote like man already. No, for sure. For sure. Um, I do believe like when I was the reason I think I my, the uptake of me as a dancer happened when I was 19 or they always grabbed me is because I literally was always one of two, like, men in the class, <laughs> right? And so, but they saw, like, it was so horrible. I was so horrible. Still kind of bad, but as one of my favorite teachers said, dance isn't about how you look, it's about how you feel. <laughs> so, uh, I think that was... Um, I'll tell myself that. Yeah, I think that was the thing that kind of carried me through, and I don't know, like, anything we give our lives to, we eventually become better at, yeah. so... Um, let's take this caller, uh, Andrew in Berkeley. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Hey, good, good. Thanks for calling. 
good. I'm, I'm, I'm driving and I pulled over because um, I just wanted to say, like, the first time that um, Brontes I learned about you was I think I bought an issue of Fag School, the zine from Pegasus. It was probably like 2004 or something like that. Crazy. Um, and um, <laughs> and then, like, I learned about Gravy Train. And for a while, like, I was, like, in my 20s, right? And you always struck me as, like, this paragon of cool. And, like, I think I would, you know, I saw your image, you know, this kind of, like, bravado rock star. I think you, like posted a sex review about Lake Merritt in fag school, you know, and like that was sort of like what I was getting from you. Right. And then like over the years, um, hearing you talk about like what goes on in your mind and your heart and that unique perspective is really meaningful because like, you know, it's just really deep and to compare it to like that sort of external kind of vibe comparison that I would make in my 20s. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a contrast. Now I'm in my 40s, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to let you know, like, that kind of arc and that artistic kind of narrative has been really meaningful to me. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. Andrew, yeah. what a wonderful, um, yeah, just kind of reflection on your own your own growth and that there are other people out there who were growing alongside uh, you. I can't yeah. even like imagine that. Like I look back at the gravy train days and I don't know. I just, I think I was just like a scared 20 year old who was drunk <laughs> and having fun in his body. I, I never, I never thought of it as a self-esteem moment or a bravado. It's kind of cool too. Though. I'm glad that other people saw yeah. it that way. I'm glad that other people saw it. That um, way. Valentine's day is tomorrow. Luke asks, I'd like to ask Brontes to talk about reimagining the possibilities of love as a queer person who lives in a society filled with one narrative of heteronormative love. (laughs) I want to hear you talk about this, too. I married my dance partner, Sophia Wang, or we are spiritually married. I remember saying to her a couple years ago um, that um, I felt like a washed up 40-year-old bottom, and she took me to Escalito and bought me a wedding <laughs> ring and said, no, you are a trophy husband. Always remember that. I started my dance company with her in 2009, and um, she she is one of the people that runs Microworks, the mycelium company yeah. now. But I remember like when we first met, she was going to Berkeley for experimental poetry, and I was just starting to get my first book published. It's, it has been the love of a lifetime. Like, mm-hmm. She taught me more about like love and what it means, what care means for a person than anybody, you know. Um, yeah, there's there's Janelle Hesick, who I was in a like band with. I met when I was like sixteen or seventeen, um, who was from here. I idolized her zines and stuff. And, yeah. You know, it's like no, there's like I have a lot of like I have a lot of wide swath of love in my life that has nothing to do with like this nuclear family model. But a lot of us, I don't know, like uh, we grew up in a time where I think the nuclear family model really betrayed us. Mm. And so it's not a problem for me to redefine family because I've always had to do that. I think also coming here so young and all my family being in Alabama and really partnering with the people here that, like, I don't know, really helped me and really shaped me. You also say in one poem where you're describing these other men who have really struggled with some of these issues, you know, you say, you know, my father said I was doomed. <laughs> so it's kind of an easier place to operate from, right? Like, you weren't you weren't trying to recapture, you know, some glory days of the nuclear family. You already kind of... No, man, not, not, not at all. Not at yeah. all. I couldn't even imagine it, actually. 
Yeah. Uh, Brian says, we have another uh, listener who has uh, a comment um, that, you know, we have more to look forward to. Says, uh, Jed writes, I'm enjoying Brontez Purnell's insightful, funny comments. I thought it was funny how he said his testosterone drop at age 41 allowed him to think more clearly. I can relate. My reduced testosterone over time coincided with increased clarity of thinking along with increased creative output. I'm 81. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's yes. just it, it gets better. It gets better, I think, is what uh, Jed was saying. Uh, we're talking with Oakland writer, dancer, musician, performance artist, Brontes Purnell, about his new memoir, In Verse, Ten Bridges I've Burnt, publishes today. Got an event at City Lights uh, uh, this evening. You can email forum at kqed.org with questions for, for Brontes or give us a call, 866-733-6786. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information on how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Um, we have another listener comment, which I want to get kind of get your, your sense of. Um, listener writes, how does Brontes cope with the idea of getting older. Sometimes it feels like the arts specifically favor the young. Um, the arts favor the young because the young don't know and they're just easier to exploit, basically. Um, when I found boundaries and I found what it was that I want to do, you can't really shake someone like me. Um, but at the same time, too, I I don't know. I, I I think I just, I got better. Like, you always get better. Like, you know, I feel like art has been my marriage in life. It's been the thing that I've given my life to. Um, I, I, I really like getting older because, you know, I'm from several generations. I'm from several lineages, gay men. The average, they still said in terms of Southern black men, we mostly die before a social security age, mm. a generation before me, so many gay men like died. Like, I think it can only be a blessing to get older, you know, mm -hmm. and every year I make it, I am very, very grateful. You know, it's like Jerry Garcia said, short time to be here, man, long time to be gone. <laughs> True words. Never spoken. Um, let's let's get one more poem in. Um, let's get Gyological Clock Ticking, in, in part because we've kind of referenced it a couple times, different pieces of it. Okay, cool. Um, Gyological Clock Ticking. I violently refute the unspoken cultural assumption that I, a promiscuous gay man and toxic bachelor, should etch unmarried and childless on my tombstone, for I have been a good husband to myself and have spent my best years raising all my friends, yet also have whittled time away in group therapy sessions with a great many middle-aged men who are also in recovery and are mad at 40 because their parents divorced when they were 10. I try not to judge, but this reads as extravagant to me that the lie of the nuclear family failed them, and I can't relate. My parents never married, and I had the privileged position of being a pagan love child. My father, the prophet, looked at me at seven and said, son, you were born doomed, and honestly, doomed is just an easier place to operate from. My willful optimism has always operated on the belief that the show must go on. I cry with these men 
though also show restraint out of respect for the friends I've raised that had neither a latch nor a key. But I also share in the sentiment that if something had been better in the past, I might be better in the present too. At this point, it means nothing. But as of late, I do admit the weakness of fearing the fatherhood that eludes me. Too often the same dream of a baby sleeping on my chest, and I awaken thinking, something is missing? I look to the left and right, but quickly remember that there has only ever been me here, and so it goes. As I watch my own effacement, the lines in my face grow numerous, and the hair keeps graying and falling out, and my midlife crisis is the opposite of most men's. I am only following the law of the universe that everything eventually cools to the temperature around it. Though all in all, my biological clock has been newly set to ticking, and well past my youth, my body remains a hand grenade mm. that was brontes pernell reading Guyological clock ticking we have been talking with oakland writer dancer musician performance artist brontes pernell about his new memoir in verse 10 bridges i've burnt um before we wrap up just want to know are you still sold on the bay area like i feel like if you were to leave it would just be like okay it's really over Oh, I don't think any other town would have me at this point. Um, <laughs> no, I, no, I, um, let me tell you something. I love LA. I love New York. I was just in Paris for a long time, but there's just nothing that ever feels like here. Like, we are a very bizarre cult. We are a very bizarre cult. I loved it when there was nobody in downtown Oakland. I loved it when there was $12 wine bars. I loved it when it was expensive. I loved it when it was not so expensive. This They're going to bury me here. <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully not soon. Oh, no, no. Well, I mean, a cosmic scale. Yeah. Cosmic probably scale. Soon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Lezer, another listener on Instagram writes, this such a beautiful conversation. Thank you, Brontez, for your radical, thoughtful, vulnerable words. What a gift. Love that poem about running and can relate so much. <laughs> Thank you. I'm suffering. <laughs> um, uh, tonight, what time at City Lights is it? Oh, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. at City Lights. You can celebrate the publication of this book, 10 Bridges uh, I've Burned. I'm by. going to RNG Lounge afterwards to get the salt and pepper crab if anyone wants Ooh, to join me. RNG. All right. Um, we've been talking with Oakland writer, dancer, musician, performance artist, Brontez Purnell about the new memoir in verse, 10 Bridges I've Burned. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.